How do you do? <laughs> so, Mr. Freeman. Ooh, great. <laughs> so you had quite an interesting childhood moving from Chicago back to the South and back to Chicago again. Now, how big a role did acting play in the early part of your life? And if not, was there a particular moment when you thought, this is what you wanted to do? Uh, how early you want to go? <laughs> I got on stage the very first time when I was eight years old. I was brilliant. Then I got on stage again uh, four years later when I was 12, brilliant again. So by the time I was 13, it was pretty much a foregone conclusion in everybody else's mind, teachers, parents, that acting was going to be my thing. Um, I hadn't like made a conscious decision I'm going to be an actor. I don't think you do. I think you just, that's what you do. And what about your parents? Were they, were your mum in particular, was she supportive of you? Very, 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 very. She was my best audience under any, in all circumstances, yeah. Okay. And I understand that when you were a teenager, you were particularly fascinated with war films and in particular with the, you were intrigued by the idea of being a pilot. And I know that before you threw yourself into acting, you did spend some time with the US Air Force. How did your experience there shape your acting career, <laughs> if at all, clearly? Um, and indeed, what lessons did you say, would you say you learned from your time in the military? I learned a lot while I was in the military. Um, I, uh, I went to the movies all the time. I pretty much lived in the movies whenever I had spare time or forever 13 cents. And oh, that period, we were refighting World War II, you know. So, yes, I decided by age 15 that I wanted to be a jet pilot because I got in a lot of trouble in school flying. Teachers droning on and I'm, I'm, I'm climbing out 15,000 feet. <laughs> uh, and then I went into the Air Force because uh, I really did want to fly. And it was the quickest ticket out of Mississippi to elsewhere in the world. Um, and I learned very quickly that that wasn't going to happen. I was not going to be a jet pilot and that I was not cut out for the military. You don't question authority in the military. <laughs> and so, but I, I still was kind of going for it and I got to go to the flight line at North Island Naval Air Station down here, Coronado, California. And I got to sit in the cockpit of a T-33 jet trainer. Joystick. Glass. Knobs, dials, things. Red button. No camera. This isn't it. That's when I decided acting was going to be it. <laughs> okay, and so with regards to, was it always just a choice between 
acting and being a pilot, or was there anything else that you ever considered? Never ever considered anything else. Well, I was, I did, yes. In 1980, December to be exact, uh, I did my last TV movie. I say last TV movie because uh, in 1981, the phone didn't ring. And in 1982, the phone didn't ring. And so I decided long about summer of 1982 that, okay, so your 15 minutes are up. You better start thinking of something else because I wasn't paying any rent. What else to do? What do I want to do? I could drive a cab. <laughs> I like driving. Maybe get a chauffeur's license and be more upgrade. And I was picked a day that I was going to go to the taxi and limousine commission to try and get my license. And the day before I decided to go, I got a call from my agent, Paul Newman, is casting Master Seal. I go see Paul Newman. I audition for, I read for a part, and he says, that part is already cast. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> Wish I'd seen you earlier. So fine, okay, no worries. So Paul is gonna be producer, director, and star. And I said, well, you've got a big job ahead of you and I'm very happy, uh, very glad you, you let me come in. Um, do you see Nell much, his daughter? So, yeah, cause I knew her and I hadn't met him before, off Broadway things that we did there. So I leave and I'm at the elevator and he comes running down the hall and he said, wait, come back, come back, come back. He says, I have another part maybe you would like to do. This guy's name is Simonowski. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I had this little role of this factory superintendent. Uh, one day shoot. But it's like, Getting a job is like having money in your pocket. If you got it, you can get it. Strangely enough, so this was in September. By October, I had a TV job, a, an off-Broadway show. I was directing a play, and I was going to be, in January, going to do this movie. It was called Harry and Sons. Go figure. So I didn't have to go get a cab drive job, <laughs> after all. We're in a lucky place. Um, and so you, meant, you talked a little bit about just the sheer variety of genres and types of show and types of acting that you've done. Which type is your personal favourite, ignoring all the other things that come with it? I don't understand types of acting. Oh, okay. so on Broadway, TV, film? Different places. Different places. <laughs> <laughs> I had prepped loads for this. <laughs> no, film is my absolute favorite because I always wanted to be in the movies. I, I didn't really uh, 
my dream was not to be a stage actor. It was to be a movie actor, be in the movies, to, you know, to do everything. So of the, all of the different uh, uh, types of acting, <laughs> movie acting is my favorite. And I, I, you know, I, I did a lot of TV, uh, 20 years on stage, and it was fun, but it's, it just it didn't hit that button, you know. And within kind of films, obviously, such a you've acted in such a huge number of genres. Um, is there one that you particularly enjoy? Um, so comedies. You've been God. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's quite a few different areas that you can look at. No, no, it doesn't matter to me what what I'm doing. I enjoy it all. I want to do it all. That was the thing, you know. We say, okay, so what would you like to be in life? Well, I'd like to be a policeman, a fireman, a doctor, a lawyer. Um, so I can do that. And how do you prepare for those roles? I mean, with each role when you... I read the script. That's all you got to do. Just read the script. Read the script. Now, if you're going to play somebody... <laughs> what? What? <laughs> no, huh? If you're going to play some living person or a person who's lived recently enough for us all to know what they sound like and look like, um, then you have to do some extensive research, uh, you know, just to do the mimicking correctly. I mean, the obvious question, obviously, so you played Mandela and Victus. Exactly. Would you mind talking a little it, bit about... Well, what, how you delved into it, because to a lot of people, you became Mandela. It wasn't your take on Mandela. No. Uh, I had done a living person once before, a movie called Lean On Me. I played uh, a teacher, a school principal named Joe Clark. And we shot at the school that he was the principal of, and he was there every day. Very incredible man. And I would follow him around and literally hold his hand. Uh, that's the energy quotient. I'm guessing you couldn't do that for Miss Mandela. Yeah, I did. <laughs> so when Madiba announced, do you know the story of this? You don't know the story of this. Here's the story of this. He um, published Long Walk to Freedom, and at a press conference, a reporter said, if your book becomes a movie, who would you want to play you? And he said, <laughs> so I am the anointed one. <laughs> as it were. So from then, and the, the, uh, the, the uh, producer who had, had the rights to it, his name was Anat Singh. Anat arranged a meeting with me and Madiba in Joburg. And I met him, I told him how honored I was with the uh, endorsement, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And if I'm going to play you, I have to have access. 
He said, fine. So I said, I mean, real access. I have to be able to hold your hand. And he said, we can do that. So we did. Over years, I would meet him in different places. We met in Monaco. We met in Washington. We met in New York. We even met in Memphis, Tennessee. And each time I was called to his side, I sat with him and uh, walked with him, uh, talked with him, but always watching and listening. So is everything all right? Just kidding. Um, and that went on for years. So by the time we got around to doing Invictus, I thought I had just about everything nailed except the sound. Because I don't do accents. I'm not one of those actors who's facile with, with accents. But I managed to get him out. And I'm guessing spending years preparing for a role. So do you think that the more time you prepare for a role, the, the better your performance will be, just to young, any young actors out there? Or sometimes As I say, it depends on the role. Um, in the movies, you get a script and you read it right away. They've given you all of the background, they tell you what the character looks like. Some writers even want to tell you what this character sounds like. And they have all these little directions in this script about uh, maybe idiosyncrasies. So it's, it's all on the page for you. You don't have to, you know, if you're going to play a doctor, for God's sake, you don't have to go and spend a week in the hospital. Uh, we did the Shawshank Redemption, the guys went and spent a week in jail. <laughs> What did you learn? <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> so, no, uh, you, you know, pre preparation, and, and, and the other part of that whole story is that I'm not what they call a method actor. Uh, I just read the script and then stumble through it. A teacher once said, uh, who was, what was his name? Herbert Berghoff. He said, I fall in the category of intuitive. I just intuit and do it. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> okay. Um, so staying on the Shawshank Redemption, now, obviously nowadays it's widely regarded as one of the best films of all time. And indeed you got your second or third Academy Award nomination for it? Third? <laughs> <laughs> Um, moving on. <laughs> so how did your experience in that film, and particularly the way that it's per people's perception of the film has changed over time? So from my understanding, initially it was a success, and it's even just grown even bigger since. How does that affect the way that you respond to when scripts are put in front of you? Can you tell what's going to be a particularly successful film? No, um, no, 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 no. There's no way... There's no way to ever tell what's going to be successful because you have to wait till an audience says it's successful. You know, you just go and do your best and enjoy yourself. Uh, when I read the script for Shawshank Redemption, nobody said what role to play. And I called my agent and said, what role? I, I'll do anything in here. Any role they want me to do, I'll do. And he said, they want you to play Red. I was, I was like, what? <laughs> That's the whole movie. I own it. Good. <laughs> um, so just staying on success, you just there, you seem to imply that 
you can't ju judge success until the audience goes to see it. Does that mean box office revenues to you are the most important kind of barometer, or is it Academy Awards, or? Well, all that goes together. Um, box office success is actually, it stands alone because the box office success when the Shawshank Redemption came out was Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> I'm just not gonna laugh. Well, no, but that's, you know, just the juxtaposition of box office and, and uh, what's that other term? Critical. Uh, Shawshank got really good reviews, but because nobody could say Shawshank Redemption, it didn't get word of mouth. And I don't care how much you promote a film, if you don't have word of mouth, you ain't promoting it. People have to be able, now you go and say, listen, I saw this really terrific film. It was called Shank Sham. Shim Shank. Got on the elevator in LA one day and the lady said, oh, I just saw you in the Hudsucker Reduction. So that was the reason it was not a box office success. No word of mouth at all. So nowadays, when a script lands in front of you, what goes through your head? I mean, are you looking to do something new? Are you looking to work with someone hopefully, in particular? Hopefully, hopefully I'm gonna do something new, but I'm almost guaranteed to be somebody with gravitas. <laughs> Actually, on that point, um, so you're portrayed in most of your films nowadays in a certain way. And I was surprised, I think this is a fact, that your first on-screen kiss was in 1990 with Renee Zellweger. Do you, now that was almost, <laughs> that's almost 35 years after, um, at least by that metric that you started your career. Why do you think, do you think that's a particular problem? Was, is there any reason that you feel you've been typecast in that way? <laughs> And I'm not regretting that question. <laughs> Actually, that's all wrong. My first on-screen kiss was in the picture called Street Smart. I played a pimp. <laughs> and I kissed a woman on screen. Again, moving on. <laughs> um, in your, one of the roles that you're most famous for, um, at least to a lot of the people in the audience today, was in your role of God in Bruce Almighty. And you have actually also been relatively outspoken on religion and called it a human construct. How did that affect the way that you portrayed God? No, it doesn't, doesn't, you can't. I defy anyone to say, okay, I'm going to play the role of God and then change themselves into something other than themselves. <laughs> Am I right or wrong? 
put on a robe? Does God wear a robe? Are there stars and moon things on the robe? No, I, you know, no, I'm right. Thank you very much. <laughs> now, a number of kind of prominent actors and actresses cite you as one of their main inspirations. Growing up or in your early career as an actor, who did you look up to? Sidney Poitier. Why was that? Sidney was a black actor at a time when there was only one doing what he was doing. And so in the general <coughs> atmosphere of life, you say, well, I want to be a, a, a movie actor. And people just sort of say, well, good luck with that. <laughs> so, but then there is Sydney, Sydney and saying, no, no, you can do it can be done, here I am. So, all right, here I come. And you just mentioned there kind of a black actor and you've spoken in the past about how you don't like the term African-American. No, I don't mind the term African-American. I don't want to be called African-American. Why is that? I'm not African. Very <laughs> <laughs> strong. So yes, staying on the issue of race, um, did you ever face discrimination in your career at the start? Do you, do you still feel that it happens nowadays? I mean, what is your view of the issue of race in Hollywood? I don't think there is an issue of race in Hollywood. Somewhere back there in the 70s, the decision was made by almost all and sundry that we have to uh, start open casting. Now, if you look on television, you pretty much see the range of cultural, that's not the right word because we all belong to the same culture, we just, anyway, but you see everybody. Uh, and I think that uh, Hollywood learned in the 70s, oh, his, 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 his reality. Isaac Davis directed a movie called Cotton Comes to Harlem. It made hundreds of millions of dollars. And of course, Hollywood is colorblind. It only sees green. <laughs> If it makes money, it's a good thing. Therefore, the walls came tumbling down. That, was, that started that whole black exploitation period, maybe before your time. A little bit, about 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, and I guess staying on the issue of discrimination, I guess, um, in recent months, years, there's been more and more outspoken actresses 
talking about the unfair portrayal of women in Hollywood. Do you think that that's fair? The unfair or portrait of women in Hollywood? They're portrayed in a certain way which objectifies Well, wait them. a minute. Uh, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchard, Julia Roberts, Meryl, um, Renee Zellweger, um, Charlize Theron, Uma, Uma Thurman, Nicole Kidman. I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't think there was an unfair portrait of women in Hollywood. Thank you. <laughs> I don't, I don't. If, if someone thinks differently, we'll talk about that. Nobody does though, don't they? Do you? Sorry? Do you have an opinion about that? Um, I think as you said, Hollywood, um, the only color is green. And if society has a problem with objectifying women, I think Hollywood latches onto it. And make, and, okay, if you think that's true, do you think Hollywood has a duty to project women in a different way to how society might view them in a more positive light? Well, not even positive, in a different light. Hollywood only sees it as one duty, stay in business, whatever that takes. So they don't get on a social high horse and go, you know, running through the bushes. Uh, we make movies to make money to make movies. That's bottom line. Um, stepping back a little bit. Um, I'd say we, and I, I, wrong term to use. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I, I don't personify Hollywood at all. <laughs> um, yeah, stepping back a little bit. So with Invictus, you worked with Clint Eastwood, and he's a director that you've worked regularly with in the past. Um, do you have a favourite director to work with? That one. That one. <laughs> Makes sense. Why is that? I, I like him, uh, I like his sensibilities, I like uh, the way he runs the set, I like the fact that he's really quick. Uh, if he does three takes, he's a little angry about it. Uh, he doesn't tell actors what to do. Uh, he doesn't even direct actors, he directs the movie. You come on set, he tells you where the camera's gonna be, that, 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 we'll rehearse it and that's it, we go and we shoot it and he's, that's it. He never says action and he never says cut. When he gets, when you, you just get everything ready to go, he said, any time. So you start whenever you want to. And when he thinks he's got enough on film, he says, that ought to do it, or something like that. <laughs> I, I, he's, um, everybody that I know who has worked with him feel the same way about him. Okay. And kind of staying on the director's point, do you feel that your relationship and the way that directors treat you has changed, obviously, as you have become more and more of an icon. That's hard to say because of the treatment has changed. I'm not sure the treatment uh, of me has changed so much as I have changed in my attitude with directors. How, how has the attitude changed? Stars here. No, I, no. I, I, <laughs> uh, 
I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, I, I'm, I feel very secure in my personhood, you know. I mean, I've always felt secure in my ability, but you don't know if anybody else sees your ability <laughs> right yeah. off. Yeah. So, uh, I've had directors uh, tell me to do stuff on screen that I knew was wrong. And you try to tell them that's not right. So rather than create a schism, say, okay, I'll do one for you and I'll do one for me. And if they do that, and they're not looking at this little monitor, they see it on the big screen, and they come back and they'll tell you, you're right. And so what advice would you give purely in an acting sense to yourself 30, 40 years ago? Same advice I gave myself 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> Get a job. <laughs> Act. Uh, there are, unfortunately, those of us who say, well, I want to be a star. That's way out there in the ether somewhere. I want to be a working actor. You can pull that off. So. Act, work, work. I, someone asked me once, and you were about to do it. <laughs> what would you do if you weren't an actor? If you didn't make it as an actor, what would you do? I have no idea. I would act somewhere. Maybe I'd be driving a cab. Maybe I'm working somebody's yard. Whatever I'm doing, I'm going to belong to somebody's little theater group. I will act. Because I'll die if I don't. And so pure... Writers write, painters paint, actors act. How much do you think someone could learn to be an actor? Um, so, and particularly learn the love for acting that you quite clearly have. Is that... Is it possible to teach? Can you, could you try and be famous and try and do it through acting? Or do you feel that you have to want to do acting and then you'll become famous? Yeah. The latter. Yeah. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> I want to be famous, so I'm going to be an actor. You're going to die. <laughs> Miserably. No. Um, I think of acting the same way, I don't think of it as an art form, but I do think of it as the same way that any, uh, any, what do you call, okay, any profession. Uh, you do it because you have to do it. If, if you spend 20 years waiting tables, at night, if you were a writer, you're writing. And it's the same thing with any discipline. Painters paint. I don't care what else they have to do to put food on the table or pay the rent, they paint. And I think that's the same way all the way around. So to an extent, staying on your career, um, two kind of questions 
both on sides of the same, two sides of the coin. So what was the most frustrating moment of your career? And was there or has there been a moment when you think, yeah, this is a peak? The most frustrating moment of my career? Yeah. Or has there been one? You just loved it. No, there have been a lot of frustrating moments. The most, I, I have no idea what the most was. Uh, I uh, interviewed for Milos Foreman for Ragtime, because I read the book, and when I read the book, Cold House Walker, that's me, I got that going away. I had just gotten all kinds of accolades for Broadway play that I'd done. I was the talk of the town. Uh, surely you've heard of me. <laughs> Haven't you? <laughs> so I didn't get the job. And uh, it's just like one of those moments in your life when you realize that, okay, humility is still hit with me. I got to <laughs> back away. And the best? Was it the Academy Award? Was there another particular role that you really, really enjoyed and you felt you played perfectly? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. Lots of them. <laughs> um, as I said, this, this movie I did where I played a pimp, I really, really, really enjoyed this. <laughs> and I really, really enjoyed uh, doing um, Hope Coburn and Driving Miss Daisy. I did it both on the stage and on screen, and uh, it was somebody I really knew well, you know. And uh, I really enjoyed uh, playing Madiba. Really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed working with um, Clint on Million Dollar Baby and on, on Forgiven. Uh, Rose, I, I always wanted to do a Western, and here comes Clint Eastwood saying, hey, come on, let's ride along on this one. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> no. Yeah. And going forward, is there anything, anyone in particular that you really want to work with that you haven't yet had the opportunity to, and why? What do you mean why? Why do I want to work with this person, or why haven't I worked with this person? Both, actually. I meant that double question. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, there were a number, but you know, anytime anybody asked me that question, Meryl Streep just bursts out of me. She's so <laughs> terrific as an actress. That yeah, but there were an, a whole, uh, just a whole list of people that I'd I'd love to to work with that I haven't had a shot at. A couple more kind of just final questions from me. Now, you... Please <laughs> <laughs> oh, something in. Um, so I was really surprised when it turns out that you don't travel with an entourage for someone who's arguably one of the most famous actors of our generation. Um, do you feel that... Does it frustrate you how closely acting is linked to... has become to celebrity culture? And do you think that's a good thing? Or do you feel that's not a huge problem for you now? Not a huge problem at all. I think it's a good thing. It's a good thing because it's done. You know, uh, as an actor, I, I, I go to some place 
or let's say uh, Prague. Uh, if you go to some of these uh, film festivals in little countries, Poland, they treat you like you're a visiting dignitary. Uh, I've had police escorts to take me from place to place. Uh, gee whiz. Uh, so that's okay. I don't know. It's not, to, it's not to mind. But the trick to me is to remember that this is all just surface. Can I say bullshit in here? Yeah. <laughs> it's just sort of surface bullshit. It's not really real. So don't go around thinking that you're entitled to this, you know. And I don't have bodyguards and entourages and stuff. Uh, I do, but only when I'm working. I have, a, I have a team, and then you would think that, boy, this guy really thinks a lot of himself, because <laughs> I have my own hairdresser, my own makeup, my own, I have a personal assistant, I have a driver. Uh, and I just have them because, why not? You give somebody... <laughs> they're going to hire them anyway. They're going to hire somebody to do that. So, and so they work when I work. That's, that's all. It's just about jobs. Does that ever distract from when you really want to focus in on acting, when you might have to do a media interview or some promo for a film? Does, does that get frustrating? What first, what? When, does it often happen that your acting work and your desire to focus in on the script, you, it clashes with some of the promotional stuff that you might have to do for a film? No, it doesn't clash. It, it doesn't clash at all. You, usually you don't do a, a lot of promotional stuff until it's done. Then you have to do the promotional stuff. That's where the real work comes in. Yeah. But... Uh, you know, normally they don't. They will say, well, we're going to have an EPK a team on set, but that's fine, they won't bother you. <laughs> and I'm not one of those actors who... <laughs> You're an actor and you're getting ready to do a scene and there's somebody standing there and you go, that person's in my eye line. <laughs> What's an eye line? <laughs> People always say, well, you know, we have still photographers on, on set. Every set has still photographers. And we say, well, if I'm in your eye line, I'll just shut up. I don't have an eye line. <laughs> I mean, it's like, were you ever on stage? <laughs> eye line. I'm sorry, that's tangent. Go ahead. So do you think, so just from that final part, do you think it's important that stuff that you gain from being on stage as an actor, how much did that help you in your time on screen? Discipline and humility. Mostly discipline. Stage calls for a lot more discipline than movies. You've got to learn an entire play. And then you've got to say every word every night. Lord help you if you, get it, if you forget. Have I ever forgotten? Yep. That's why I say Lord help you. Because nobody else can. Um, and I guess the very, very final question, and it's quite an off-the-wall question. So you played Lucius Fox in Batman Begins, which a lot of people have drawn parallels with uh, Q in James Bond. 
if you had to choose any one gadget that you would make Lucius Fox play, what would it be? That cape that he could fly with. The gliding one? Yeah. That's pretty cool. I'm definitely pick <laughs> <hit> that. <laughs> yeah. See, if you said the Hummer, you couldn't do much with it. And all jumping bridges and shit, you're not gonna do that. <laughs> and it burns an awful lot of fuel. <laughs> so, but that cape, just like hang gliding, you know. A bit more dangerous. A little bit. Why? Because <laughs> it's not real, I thought. <laughs> You're sandbagging me now. <laughs> okay. Um, well, unfortunately, that is everything that we have time for this evening. And so I'd just like you all to join me in thanking for the final time, Mr. Morgan Freeman. Thank you. Well done. Thank you all. Thank you.